other side of midnight with Frank Morano. The other side of midnight presents the Midnight Files. intelligent guy, uh, not only the author of dozens of books and more than 100 articles about UFOs and the paranormal, uh, but he is a field investigator for a terrific organization uh, called MUFON, M-U-F-O-N. His latest book is Not From Here, Volume 4, and this is one sequel which may be even better than the original. Very pleased to welcome back to the program Preston Dennett. Preston, it is great to talk to you again. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks, Frank. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, Preston, if people are unfamiliar with MUFON, what is MUFON? What do they do? MUFON is the Mutual UFO Network, a civilian organization which collects and studies UFO reports from across the United States and really the world. It's the largest UFO organization, several thousand members, chapters in every state, and is dedicated to trying to solve the UFO mystery. It's sort of almost like a, a UFO neighborhood watch kind of a deal, right? Exactly. Yep. There's a lot of sightings going on constantly. Very few people report them, and this is one of the few places you can call and get someone to investigate. It seems like the, what I'll call, report shaming uh, that has historically been associated with being afraid to tell people you've seen a flying saucer or something along those lines, that seems to have diminished in the last few years. It seems like there's been some congressional action and maybe even some changes within the Pentagon hierarchy that protect UFO whistleblowers. One, is that the case? And two, if that is the case, is it still as vital that an organization like MUFON is out there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. MUFON's still doing very important work. Times have definitely changed. I've been in this field for well over 35 years. And back then, yeah, there was a lot of eye rolling, a lot of snickering, a lot of ridicule and skepticism. Now that the Pentagon has come out flat out and said, UFOs, UAPs are real. This is a huge shift. This is a 180 degree turnaround. All previous government studies like Project Blue Book, for example, and there are others, the Condon Committee, the Robertson Panel, all said that there's absolutely nothing to this. If you think you saw a UFO, you are lying. Mm. You're hoaxing, hallucinating, or misperceiving. So this is a definite step forward. It's brought a lot of people into this field. It's pushed this subject into the mainstream, for sure. What sparked your interest in this subject initially? 
I was dragged kicking and screaming into this field. Uh, I hated the subject. It was November 17, 1986. A report came on the news about a sighting over Alaska. It's a really well-known sighting now with radar confirmation and multiple witnesses. But back then, the news report was maybe a minute long, very tongue-in-cheek, and kind of joked about it. But it sparked my interest. I remembered my older brother, Mark, had said he'd seen a UFO. And now I was just open-minded enough to ask him what he saw, and he described an amazing sighting. He had witnesses, too, by the way, which shocked me. I kind of thought everyone who saw a UFO was alone. And what what was that Alaska UFO case? Yeah, JAL Airlines, Captain Kenju Tirochi. This is a commercial jet airliner, quite large. They encountered two very large, much larger than their aircraft, walnut-shaped objects, which paced their plane for well over an hour. In fact, they requested a course change, which was granted, and still these objects followed. It appeared on their onboard radar, also appeared on the FAA radar, though they later denied this and called it split images. We now know that's not true. Uh, There's documentation reporting on this, released through the Freedom of Information Act. Yeah, it's a great case. Oh, that's wild. Now, you've written a great deal about this subject for a long time. We've talked to you before about some of your previous writings. Now you're out with Not From Here, Volume 4. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Ten chapters, each revealing strange and unique patterns of UFO contact. Now, before we get into some of what you cover in the book, there are some people listening to us right now that don't believe extraterrestrials have ever visited this planet. They're people that are, I guess, best described as skeptics. What would you say to a skeptic about why their skepticism may be misplaced? I would say do your homework. You are sadly misinformed. I don't mean to be rude, but that's just the truth of it. There's mountains of evidence. It's not just eyewitness reports by any means. Uh, We have hundreds of landing trace cases, many, many cases involving radar returns. The photographic and film evidence is outstanding. There are healing cases, injury cases. I mean, we have implant removal cases at this point, objects that are diagnosed as foreign bodies being removed out of people's arms, their septum, I mean, you name it. And it has some very interesting properties. And the evidence at this point is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's talk about some of the ground that you cover in this book. You explore something that I haven't heard much about, but I'm fascinated by UFO car lift cases. These are instances of UFOs chasing cars down remote highways. And uh, this is not something that I think most people spend a lot of time thinking about. How common is this sort of a thing? Uh, It's very common for UFOs to chase cars down the road. Uh, Not at all uncommon. Uh, However, car lift cases are really quite unusual. There was a very famous incident in 1988 involving a family in Australia. They were crossing the Nullarbar Plain, which is a very remote area. And this UFO swooped down and went right over their car and pulled it up into the air carrying it for some distance. 
and this family went public. They were ridiculed mercilessly in the press. Uh, but it turns out there are many other cases like this taking place all across the world. We've got cases stretching back all the way to the 1960s, or 50s actually, late 1950s, all the way to, I think the latest one I could find was 2010. But yeah, I have 20-some cases of this. One of the more interesting interviews that I've done was a year and a half, maybe two years ago, with another journalist by the name of Ralph Blumenthal, who wrote a book called The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and the Passion of John Mack. And it was about John Mack, a fellow that had passed away and spent a lot of time talking with these uh, UFO contactees, people that had claimed to have some sort of an extraterrestrial experience. And John Mack essentially, a very scientific guy, essentially came to the conclusion that these people were telling the truth, that they were not delusional, and that these were very sound people of very sound mind and very honest people. Um, but with that in mind, there's always folks in this audience, uh, because you know how skeptical the talk radio audience can be, there's always folks in this audience that are tempted to dismiss the eyewitness account of folks. So that incident you mentioned, that car lift case in Australia, how do we know the folks there or in some of these other instances that you chronicle in the book, how do we know that these folks are credible? Uh, well, I mean, you vet the witnesses best as you can. There are certain things that UFO investigators look for because there are certainly patterns to these cases. And many of these people are very credible in terms of you know their resume. People who see UFOs are not just, you know, some uneducated hick from, you know, some rural area. We have people from every level of society who see this stuff. I mean, we've, President Carter saw UFO, Governor Ronald Reagan, Governor Fife Symington, uh, the governor of Florida, Hayden Burns, the governor of Ohio, uh, John Gilligan. I mean, it goes on. Uh, people from all walks of society are seeing this stuff. Most people have witnesses to support them. Uh, in the Australian case, there was physical evidence to support their case. Mm. Uh, so it's not just people telling stories. You delve into Independence Day encounters. We're not talking about Independence Day, the Bill Pullman, Will Smith movie. We're talking about July 4th. Each July 4th, there's a huge spike in UFO reports. Now, the logical cynic may conclude from this, well, it's just people seeing fireworks and misinterpreting what they're seeing as flying saucers. You don't think that's the case, though. How come? Initially, I did, but I kept getting reports. I mean, it's a really unfortunate day to see a UFO because I think that would be the go-to for everybody. Mm -hmm. The only worst day I could think of would be April 1st. Uh, <laughs> people are just going to assume you're lying. But the truth is, if you look at the files of the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, and the National UFO Reporting Center, New Fork, July 4th is the most common day to see a UFO. So what I did after having received some really credible reports that clearly were not fireworks, I mean, these involved structured craft with portholes, uh, in a few cases, entities looking down through these portholes, I scanned through all of these cases. And there was well over a thousand of them. I mean, a lot. And I have to tell you, the majority of them did involve what could be interpreted as sky lanterns, 
uh, often called Chinese lanterns or party mm-hmm. lanterns, which look like little glowing oval objects. Uh, these are basically candles that are encased inside of a paper bag, which float up and last for about 15 minutes and can appear to hover and even dart around depending on the wind. But there is a residue of cases, a good number of them, we're talking hundreds, in which it's clear that these are not lanterns by any Hmm. means. These are objects that, according to the witnesses, are there to watch the fireworks. They come down when the show begins and they leave when the show ends. And sometimes they will put on a display that's even more spectacular than the fireworks show itself. Do you have a theory, Preston, and if people are just tuning in, by the way, we're talking with Preston Dennett. Uh, Do check out his new book, Not From Here, Volume 4. Do you have a theory as to what these entities are? There's always been a lot of debate, even in the UFO community, about what they are. Some people say they're aliens. Other folks say they're people from another dimension. Other folks say they're uh, humans from... Uh, a distant future who are time traveling and basically doing some sightseeing in the in the present day. Do you have any idea what these are? Yeah, I've heard all the theories. Some believe they're demonic. Some believe it's an intelligence that wears different masks and is masquerading as E.T. I think the evidence speaks for itself. Honestly, if you took take a look at the totality of the evidence, it's pretty clear that we're dealing with extraterrestrials. People like us, biological beings, but from elsewhere. I mean, you can argue about their exact origins, but when you look at these craft, which are metallic, do leave landing traces, sometimes the heat measured on the ground is in excess of thousands of degrees. I mean, we know this from scientific studies. And ultimately, for me, I think the real deal breaker is the fact that we have hundreds of crash retrieval reports. And these are accounts from whistleblowers, often high in the military, who say that we have obtained these craft, like the Roswell incident, which you may have heard of in New Mexico in 1947. That's just one. There are hundreds of these. If we truly have these craft and the bodies, well, all bets are off. We know what this is. Mm. Certainly our government knows. Have there been accidents of collisions, say a uh, UFO car crash, uh, where where a human vehicle collides with something that's otherworldly? Yes. And this was quite surprising to me. There are a few famous cases of near misses and a couple involving direct collisions of not only airplanes, but automobiles. Uh, There's one very well-known case involving a train, which apparently collided into a UFO. Uh, And yeah, several car crashes. Uh, One famous case involving a plane occurred in the town of Pixley. uh, And this was initially covered up by the government. This is in California. But thanks to the work of Major Donald Kehoe, who was a real pioneer in this subject, he was able to get information about this case and learned that there was an actual collision. These are statistically in- insignificant in that it almost never happens. Um, considering how many hundreds of reports there are, this sort of thing is extremely rare. 
Uh, I'm gonna, it does happen. W- one more thing I want to ask you about because we're just about out of time, and then maybe we can uh, do a part two next week because we haven't even scratched the surface of some of the material that you cover in your in your book. Um, and that is UFOs that have hovered over airports all over the world. We've seen some cases a little more than hovering. What does this portend in terms of a trend? Yeah, this is very interesting because it's not – you wouldn't think this is a likely place for UFOs to go in some ways because it's – there are radar towers, a lot of witnesses, a lot of air traffic. But if you look into the cases, it is absolutely a pattern. LAX, one of the largest airports in the world, has had almost a dozen cases stretching over a period of decades. I'm not exactly sure what the draw is here, uh, but perhaps they're showing off. This is a type of behavior UFO researchers have long recognized, what they call displays. So in some ways, it could be that the UFOs are just basically announcing their presence, or perhaps they're drawn to these airports, but it's definitely, like you said, not just sightings. They have actually landed on many of these runways. People have seen humanoids. They are drawn to airports for some reason. This could be possibly a portent of a future worldwide landing. Some people have speculated on that. That's pure speculation. Honestly, we don't know. Interesting stuff. Preston Dennett, what's the best way for people to get your book? I appreciate that. Yeah, I do have a website. Just punch in my name. It should take you there. I'm on YouTube, all over safe social media. My books are available at bookstores and on online retailers like Amazon. Not From Here, Volume 4. Preston, we'll do a, a Volume 2 of this interview in the very near future. I'll look forward to that. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Questions, comments, thoughts, 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.